Welcome one and all to another new episode of the What The Niche Podcast with me, your host, Andrew Morris. It's good to be back, and we are nearing the end of this wild ride of a year that is 2020. A couple of things I want to cover before getting into the nit and gritty of this week's show. First, please go check out the all-new show, What the Skit, which I posted on this channel last week. I'm incredibly proud of the material that we put together for that, and I hope that all of my listeners for this podcast enjoy that show as well. Next, if you have yet to check out the website and some of the gear that I have available there, please head on over to whatthenitch.net and snag some rad merch. Finally, be on the lookout for a special end-of-the-year bonus episode coming to you tomorrow. I will be sharing some thoughts of inspiration from all the guests that I've had during 2020. That is it for news and shout-outs, which means it's on to this week's episode. In this week's conversation, we discuss the wonderful world of visual art. I think what makes someone an artist is they make models of their inner life. They make something physically come into being that is inspired by their emotions or their needs or what they feel the audience needs. I like the independence of it. I love freedom of it. No one else tells you what you can or can't do most of the time. Uh, and there's an immediacy to it. Art has to be service, you know, it's like you're servicing your subconscious and at the same time you're, you're doing something that someone's going to relate to, hopefully. When I was a kid, I spent half my time in the living room performing for people. I spent the other half the time in my bedroom by myself writing poetry and sketching. I was not the type of kid you could say as a punishment, go to your room, because my room was heaven to me. My isolation was welcome. You know, the bottom line with all of this, whether it's performance or it's art or it's sculpture, is love. We want to show ourselves and have that be accepted. I love being alive, and the art is the evidence of that. From dismal, damp caves thousands of years ago, to the brilliant light shining upon glimmering specks of color splashed upon a canvas. The innate curiosity with visual spectacle permeates deep within our souls. Combinations of line and shape creating worlds of interpretation, imagination at the helm aboard each aesthetic journey. Our every feeling reflected upon marble. Our every thought strewn upon paper. Our every inspiration paid homage on the side of a building. Art is not merely a visitor. It is the ever-present. It is the ever-needed. It is the never-ending muse. Impossible to define, yet easy to understand. Universal in its pervasive messaging and mysterious in its effects. A voice for all. Love and invention its language. Songs composed by a maestro with a brush. Foundations of the ethereal designed by architects wielding formless bits of clay. Each world constructed with a subjective frame of meaning, scaffolded by objective truth. Cities of artistic visions, concocting a metropolis of masterpieces. Every citizen a faithful contributor to the mosaic of life and beauty, which we affectionately refer to 
as art. These beautiful musings bring me to this week's guest. His name is Justin Kamerer. He is a husband, small business owner, screen printer, and all-around brilliant artist. Amidst our chat, we discuss his long career in the business, and he humble brags a little bit about doing work for Metallica and Black Sabbath. No, really, he's very humble. He spoke on how difficult it can be to find a balance making money from the thing which you also derive passion from. Overall, I found our conversation to be sarcastic and delightfully fun, and I hope all of you enjoy our talk. Hello, my name is Justin Kamer. I uh, go under the superhero name of Angry Blue. Uh, I draw skulls for a living and hide in a dungeon. uh, And when not in this dungeon working, I am in my print dungeon ruining paper one piece of one slice at a time. (laughs) That's a fantastic description. And your superhero name. So knowing that you told me where it came from, which I will have you tell me. Uh, did you like smash one IM message at a time? So you have to tell the people where your uh, superhero name came from. It, um, yeah, it doesn't have any real important, magnificent, wonderful backstory that you know is like 10, 15 pages long, like, a, like some sort of D&D character. It's, uh, it's just an AOL instant messenger name that stuck well enough to where I just kind of liked the two words mashed together. And then uh, eventually I had made enough of a digital footprint to where it made sense just to stick with it versus my last name. That sounds like a stutter. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Uh, Kramer is actually sure. is really hard to say. Yeah. yeah I you're telling that. me, uh, <laughs> you're like, I've lived with it. Um, yeah. So your superpower was making it. <laughs> yeah. I make even the best linguist stutter. That is my superpower. <laughs> So, um, you are somebody who I've known uh, kind of secondhand for a while. Uh, we talked a little bit about before uh, we started the podcast. Um, he had done some work for a band that I was in way back in the day. And I, I kind of had to spend a few minutes apologizing to him. I'm like, I'm sorry. I was a child. I didn't understand how these things worked. Um, and he still has the stuff. It's, it's pretty amazing that that was uh, 17 years ago and he still has the stuff. Um, I thought that was really impressive. Um, so beyond how we know each other, I like to start these podcasts with a particular question because it is usually provocative answers that I get out of this. Um, so maybe share with us some of the misconceptions or the uh, possible negative associations that are made with you when you tell people that you are an artist. I don't know that anybody makes any negative connotations, but... Other than like, oh, that guy thinks he's an artist, which is fair. The end. <laughs> the end. Um, and the self-deprecation continues. Well, I mean, that's part of, that's part of it. You're right. I, um, I am the, if you want to like do all the checkboxes of self-deprecating, introvert. Um, I like to be alone in my, my goblin dungeon basement down here and have horse blinders on to try not to distract me from things. Uh, you know, that all that stuff. Uh, I'm not wearing turtleneck at the moment, but that's just at the moment. And my beret is over to the side. You can't see it. Um, I don't know. I, I've got enough regular business relationships to that where I don't get. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out what any negative associations people might have. One is that I'm constantly hungry for work. So therefore like a, a real tiny budget. <laughs> Uh, if I don't take it, it can be offensive to people, but I've usually luckily got a bunch of work stacked up to where, depending on what it is, I have to set up barriers to some jobs I can take and some jobs I cannot. Um, and most people assume that I'm just kind of usually messing around on Animal Crossing or something, which I do like, um, but I do have a regulated work schedule to try to keep me from just always working. So I, I actually do work, you know, uh, uh, eight, 10 hour work days and then 
am off and then actually take my weekends now after uh, 10 plus years of not knowing how to set boundaries for myself that way. So um, beyond that, nothing I can come up with offhand, but that doesn't mean in 10 minutes I won't be like, oh, ask that question again. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of an organic conversation. We can come back at any time. Do you ever find it hard to, I know for myself, like um, I'm an educator and uh, it does lend itself to some uh, creative aspects where I'm creating lessons and things like that. Uh, sometimes it's really hard for me to walk away from that. Um, I wonder if the artistic process is the same way when you're in that groove, is it really hard when you are trying to set those boundaries and you have a dinner date with the wife and you know that you're supposed to be there in an hour, but you're in the middle of this great thing. Do you ever find it hard to walk away from that? Um, I think I have an atypical relationship because my wife is also part of my company and also has her own company. Her brand is called Miss Happy Pink, but she made to make fun of my brand, Angry Blue. <laughs> so we will try to regularly schedule like, like roughly dinners around this time or whatever, but we're usually talking about work uh, or we're usually trying to go like, okay, I can wrap up here and then uh, maybe dinner conversation super short so I can jump back to the thing or I try to just have that as my end goal for the day and then I'm, and then I'm done. So sometimes it just depends. Sometimes, of course, like any, any other creative person loves getting real deep in the weeds on the thing they're working on. But sometimes it's cool to go like, okay, I've got an end goal. Yeah. It, I think it's, that takes, that's probably something that you've been able to do later in your later years. Because I know as a kid, you know, I got wrapped up, you know, when I was 20 years old and I was in a band and, it would sometimes be hard for me. I would run over practice two, three hours, you know, and my then girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, God bless her soul. She's very understanding. And uh, I would show up two or three hours late for a date and she'd be like, where were you? Well, I was at band practice and I acted like it was no big deal. Do you find that that that's something that you become more disciplined at as you got older? Um, I think that this relationship just made itself understanding of that where, you know, it'll be also, uh, constant text messaging and, and whatnot, we can, you know, check the temperature and see like, oh, okay, you're, you're busy. We'll pivot whatever this is. And, you know, our, uh, the, the dates we usually have is like trying to get out of the house or do something where we are specifically aggressively not trying to talk about work anyway. So, which we usually fail at. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that's really even an answer. Um, it, but I think through, you know, uh, I've been doing the, working for myself since 2005 and then still was juggling a day job and uh, doing all this, uh, you know, flyers and uh, merchandising design and T-shirts and all that sort of stuff. You know, before that, when I was doing web development and, and whatever for maybe five years before that, before I was able to quit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty used to figuring out how to dial it in. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, this question, don't worry, she's listening. How long have you guys been married? Uh, four years, four years. Yeah. Um, so I, I've, I've had this, it's in, intriguing that they're in some of these interviews that I've done, a lot of the individuals who have been together for quite a while, um, their spouse is in the same field that they're in. Um, so I talked to Braxton Gaither. Mm -hmm. uh, his his girlfriend Colleen is also she, an artist. She's awesome. Yeah, she's very great. I had a chat with her as well. I'm looking forward to putting that conversation up. Uh, then teachers, I know quite a few teachers that are married couples, and they're both teachers. I myself, I'm a teacher. My wife's a teacher. Uh, I had the uh, Ghosts on my podcast, Kevin and Amy. Uh, then I had the Marcy's on my podcast, and that conversation will be dropping. Do you think it's a great benefit to you to have somebody that you're in a relationship that does what you do and works with you in tandem? Does that help? I don't know how I'd function um, doing it otherwise. Um, yeah, I mean, d d creating creating, you know, your, your relationship or whatever. So that way everything fuses together and you have somebody who completely understands your weird little ticks and what, and whatnot and can pick up on uh, stuff without having necessarily vocalize uh, what weird spot you're in either with a project or 
these other 50,000 variables that you're both going through together. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's, it's helpful. My, our jobs are different, but we've got enough things where we understand all the variables uh, and it makes it easy to, you know, to do our thing or whatever. Yeah. For me, that <clears throat> I was, let's see, I've been in the relationship with my wife for 18 years and I'll never forget the first dinner we had when I became a teacher, I became a teacher later. Uh, this was three years ago. That first dinner after the first day of school, it's like a light clicked on in our relationship because we sat down and like so many of the things that she had talked about, because she had been in the field for six years and so many of the things that she had talked about just clicked because I then understood, you know, a little bit more um, intimately what she had been discussing for years. And I, I think that that's, such a such a awesome thing and an awesome bond to share with the person that you're going to be with the most uh and also probably save you some marriage counseling <laughs> yeah definitely because you don't have to go like okay well this client is doing this thing or this person's doing this thing you understand uh immediately oh this is this type of thing and you don't have to reintroduce you know oh, i'm going through this branding project and these things are frustrating and here's what branding is and here's blah 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 blah, blah. all that all that stuff is inherently understood now you know at this point yeah and it's tremendously helpful i I would imagine so um i know you've worked in the game for a long time this might be a tough thing for you to uh kind of hash out but what is the thing that you've done that you've been the most proud of um i don't know that can vary i you know i just like making things successful for people being able to pull things across the finish line and go like cool that uh, this that project now that I've watched it for ten years evolved beyond when my hands started in it or whatever. Uh, great, that's 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 wonderful. So I, I get a lot of different things out of different types of projects. Um, my very favorite stuff, obviously, is to work with a band, design posters or merchandise, or make my own products, and then where I'm actually doing the printing and stirring up the ink, and then doing the print run, which is a whole nother. Uh, facet of a process after I've done the artwork, uh, seeing if I idiot proofed it enough for me to actually print it. And then having those sell either for myself or for the bands or whatever, knowing that everybody got, I did the job the right way and everybody was happy throughout it. And then the uh, fans or the people that purchased the art that identified with it or whatever also were happy. Uh, I don't know. It just, uh, as long as things resonate, well, then I'm usually pretty happy. Don, is it, you talked a little bit about your process in there. I'm curious as to how this works because I've seen a lot of your work and I wondered uh, just how you go about creating some of that. So what does your process look like for the majority of your work? You talk about ink. Is it digitally uh, enhanced at the end? How does that work? Um, well, we'll just, start with like a poster job, I guess, because I do a lot of different types of things. I work for a lot of people in the, the tech industry, do a lot of things with like Facebook and Google and Microsoft. And those things usually are usually end up pretty different than what people quote unquote know me for doing the rock art or whatever. Um, I prefer to uh, knock this microphone around with my chair as I wiggle around. Um, I prefer to start pen and ink to do a drawing. Um, but depending on the turnarounds that I have or whatever I've over the past, I don't know, five years or so become very reliant on my, uh, my tablet to draw directly into a computer. Um, and, uh, just start doing some sketches. Let's see if that resonates. And then, um, start putting together the actual layout of a poster and then send that sketch back for another round to make sure that gets approved and then really get to flesh out and create the environment and um, and just bring the, the design to it, its point. And once that is approved, then I have to break it down and go, okay, did I make this an easy, fun, three-color job that I can knock out in an afternoon? Or did I make this a six or eight-color job that's going to take me you know, two or three days to, uh, first of all, break down into separate stencils because I print one color at a time. That, and they lay up uh, on top of each other. So, like, let, let's say it's a three-color job, and it's uh, you know red, blue, and black. I do all the red layer first, and then I have to let it dry, and then I set up a new screen stencil, 
And I have to align that so that way it's in the right place. And then put the blue ink down on the screen, uh, move the squeegee across it to print the, secondary, the second stencil, and then do that until the poster is done. So sometimes it can be really nerve-wracking until the final key line color goes across that traps everything down. And I go, okay, I did nail it. I wasn't sure. Like usually in the middle of a poster printing process, I'm like, did I totally mess this up? Um, but that last one lets me know that, that I did the right thing. So doing it that way, are you leaving a lot to chance? Or is there like a certain... Um, certain method that you've set up that kind of keeps you on track because that sounds like it could go either way. Usually it's fine. It's uh, I mentioned the idiot proofing stage <laughs> and that is trying to make sure that, that if the paper moves around or if it shrinks up because uh, d- depending on the thickness of a paper and the ink deposit and things uh, and printmaking, it could uh, absorb into the paper and either make it slightly larger or as the paper or as the ink dries, it could actually tighten and bring all the, you know, the porous nature of the of, of, uh, two foot by three foot sheet of paper. It could kind of like tighten it together a little bit. And then that could throw the registration of everything laying down on top of each other over and over again, just enough to where it's like, you've seen comic books or cereal boxes or any of those things where you're like, Oh, this is printed incorrectly. Something got weird. And you try not to do that unless you're specifically trying to get that weird effect. And so, yeah, I've got a process where I can usually do it, but sometimes something gets weird in the print run where something isn't tightened. And then throughout the entire run, the, the paper moved slightly back to where it was like a half inch for throughout the, the process of two different colors and it moved different ways. And I have to see if I can calibrate to, uh, to save it so I don't have to reprint things. And I've, I've only had to reprint one or two jobs ever. I've usually been able to be like, okay, that's fine. On, the, on this run um, but you know it's it can be a complicated process sounds like it yeah I didn't know just how that process works and I, I don't know if it's so you're separating the colors because it makes printing jobs easier when you give that to a customer is that why you do it that way no that's the that's just the nature of screen printing um, you can only do so t-shirt printing you can do it on the what like was, I, I believe, I don't, I'm not a shirt printer, but it's re, uh, referred to as like a carousel press. So you can print a, a, a yellow and then you flash it with heat and it like pretty much cures it enough to where you can print the next color wet on top of that and, and go around the spindle to where you can finish it up. But for paper, it needs to be completely dry before you set up the next color. Uh, if you think of it like, a, like just a, a regular cutout uh, paper stencil, you kind of have to have one drive before you do the next one. Okay. Yeah. This is all you, you're speaking Russian to me. Yeah. I didn't know how any of this worked. That's really cool. If it's interesting at all, I could, I don't know how your podcast is going to be set up for uh, websites or anything, but I could send you a gallery of staging of, you know, one color to the next, to the next, to the next, to the final. And maybe that would be interesting. And then I could also adjust to that to where if a couple of the colors are wrong, you can see what that would do. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I, I, it, if anything, I'd be interested in it. Um, okay. I'd like to get... I'm going to be in the process of probably setting up a more proper website. Uh, I'm hosting through Captivate, and um, I enjoy them. Uh, it makes a lot of things easy, but their uh, website that they set up for you is... It's basic. It's rudimentary, so I may end up going through like Squarespace or something like that. Um I do like my Squarespace site quite a bit, and I used to do web development for a living. Yeah, yeah, I know a lot of people really speak the praises from the mountaintops. Um, do you ever find it? I know that you said you stay really busy. <clears throat> do you ever find it hard to find a balance to do things for you? Oh yes, definitely. Um, uh, this last year was actually a pretty good example of that. Uh, my wife had two hip surgeries last year, <sighs> which. Uh, actually kept her pretty, you know, she was basically, they were like, you can go to the bathroom for three months. I mean, and that, but that's the limit of you getting up and getting out of bed and doing anything. Um, and she got the, you know, the, the fun of uh, doing that twice. And which meant that it, it became single income, which then turned to well, pretty much every job that comes in, I kind of need to say yes to at the moment, whether I'm, really invested in the project or not. And either way, if I say yes to a job, I'd, I'd 
do the best job I can. Um, but that put pretty much all of my like, hey, I'm just going to work on my own stuff for a week. All those types of projects went into the background uh, until over the past few months, which has been really fun to go like, okay, now I've got a big list of things that I've been meaning to work on. So let's dig in. Was it <clears throat> was it hard to find like happiness during that time? Were you in a bad spot? Did it did it upset you? Did it ruin your your mental state at all? Because I know that a lot of artists use those things that they do for themselves as you know a means of catharsis and a means of meditation and a means of self reflection and a lot of things that they need to do uh, for to be mindful for themselves. And did you find that difficult? Um. There is a certain rewarding thing that I really love of uh, my specific version of being an artist is for the most part, you know, all the client stuff is problem solving and I mm-hmm. love solving a problem. And I think that got built up uh, when I originally went, you know, started in this career or trajectory, you know, artistic trajectory or whatever. I was like, I'm not going to be able to be an artist for a living. That's like being a rock star. It's just not a thing. I like making music, but the amount of people that break through, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so I decided to get into design and web development because that way I could do something creative and learn a bunch of things and, and potentially uh, have some sort of fulfilling career that I could at least uh, dive into and, and, uh, and it would be different than, you know, just it, jobs that would be less fulfilling to me. So through that and doing coding and, and all that sort of stuff, I love problem solving, period. But uh, there will be a point where, you know, a few months in, I'm like, oh, man, I'm not solving problems for myself. I'm just getting other people to their end goal, which I enjoy. But sometimes I'm like, I need a little me something to, you know, a, a little uh, creative something to snag off of the tree. And um, I was usually able to do that with music a little bit on the weekends, but depending, you know, uh, you could be too zapped to even be able to reinvest in yourself. If you've been, you know, taxed doing stuff for other people. I'm like, I can't look at a screen. I can't do anything right now. Yeah. I think that's, that's something that becomes problematic for a lot of people is that, we're such it's ingrained in us to be like this work culture and people will work, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And there is literally not time for themselves in there. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of these uh, self-help gurus will be like, you can fly the top. You just got to want it. And you're like, well, all right, man, I've been in that job where you work yeah. the physical job. Uh, I worked in a factory where the average temperature in the summer is 115 degrees on the floor. And it's like, bitch, I'm not being mm-hmm. lazy. I'm flipping exhausted. You know, yeah. you come home after an 11, 12 hour day and you didn't want to do anything. And I found that, that time of my life to be really, really tough because I literally didn't have time for to engage in any of my hobbies. I wasn't making music. Uh, I wasn't acting. I wasn't doing any of these various things that I do just because I want to. So yeah. I didn't get to do any of the things that I just like to do. And that was that was a struggle, man. And I feel like a, a large percentage of the population is in that very situation, which I think is a lot of the reason that we have depression and high rates of suicide and so many of those different things, because nobody is finding the time to do those intrinsically rewarding things for themselves. And I think culturally you get the gig culture happening too, where everybody has got a, if you, if you don't personally feel like you were in quote unquote, the hustle, you are not trying or you're not doing what everybody else is doing. You're not living that weird, you know, this is bland and probably not interested, but you're not living that projected Instagram lifestyle or, uh, you know, what, whatever version of that is that should quote unquote apply to you. Um, and yeah, that I, definitely see how that could just kind of zap you of all energy. Once you're like, I already spent all those uh, action points or, or, or whatever. And, and now I don't, I just don't have anything. Um, but, but you, but I'm a, I'm a pop culture junkie and I love video games and I love making music. And um, usually I'm able to find some solace somewhere, but uh, for a little while visual 
creative energy was gone, but I, I could at least pivot somewhere and go like, look, this music project does not have to profit so I can do something without the weight of uh, the process, you know, bearing down on me while I'm trying to, you know, j- just be. So, you know, that, that that's helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you made a great point. It's, uh, I think it's indicative of the world that we live in now, but it's kind of this all or nothing mentality. And it's like, I think that's one of the things that can kind of deter uh, people from the art medium in general uh, is that if they don't see themselves being famous, um, they bail, they bail on it. They're like, I'm out. And you, it's, it's odd because you don't do that with your, your normal job. You're not saying, well, you know, I got this job making $28 an hour at Ford. Most people are usually pretty excited about it. They're like, man, I'm making good money now. Yeah. But then the people that are in the art field and you, you break it down and you're making $28 an hour doing the thing that you hate way less than putting together trucks with no real intrinsic reward to that. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like you can make 50 grand a year doing the thing you really want to do, but that's not good enough. It, that seems to be something that I see all the time and musicians, especially. Well, being uh, a, you know, a recovering musician, I don't know if you still make <laughs> music. Um, do you, you know, uh, anybody that, does anything creative, whether it, you know, it's cooking, writing or whatever you, uh, socially tap into the people that influence you and, you know, you see their successes, whatever that's been, however that's been projected. And, uh, naturally you're like, man, I'm not doing this. I love what I'm doing and I'm confident in what I'm doing, but like they are fucking doing the hell out of this or they have curated their stuff to where none of their anxieties are showing or whatever. And so, I mean, I, I think that's just the, the same thing as the gig economy or whatever. It's just kind of cyclical, like, uh, I'm not doing this. And if I'm not going to be perceived as uh, one of these, whatever, I guess I should give up. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I think we all kind of fall to the false perceptions that are, you know, propagated in the media. You know, it's it's easy for us to look at all their successes and not realize the struggles. Um, that's why I'm a big fan. There's a book called On Writing by Stephen King. Uh, and it's one of my favorite things I've ever written or read about the process because it's so raw. I mean, Stephen King has never really been known one to kind of bullshit people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been one of the reasons that I've adored the man since I was in like third grade, probably reading his stuff when I shouldn't have been. But yeah, I did too. <laughs> yeah, and I'm okay. Um, killed less than five people. It's fine. That's pretty uh, good. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> he, um, you know, he he covers the process and he talks about how hard it was. He talks about he threw away Carrie, the story for oh. Carrie. He threw it in the fucking trash, and his wife dug it out. I read that you know? recently. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and it's like she knew that there was something there because everyone, and it's not just artists we're all our worst critic doesn't matter if you're the fry cook at mcdonald's there's things in your life that you're like i suck at this you know and maybe you're great at just being there for people and you don't see that you know you don't see the impact that you're making because we're all so damn insular and we look at ourselves and we just pick apart every little damn thing and that's just an unfortunate thing of being a human being and it would almost be better if these artists could just smack a camera on them and you see just how mundane and shitty some of their days can be so that you're not building it up to this unattainable thing to where you're not happy and you're mid-level, you existing there in the middle because they're over here doing these great things. Like maybe you're a mid-level actor and you're doing B-rated movies and you're making... 70, 80 grand a year. You're doing good. Just, but you can't be that because you're like, well, Brad Pitt's over here. He just did another thing. And you're not everybody can be on that level. There's not room for that. You know, it's like every student athlete who aspires to be in the NBA 0.0001% or something of the population ends up in a professional sport. Doesn't mean you're not great. It just means that you might not be that great. And that's okay. And that's fine. Or sometimes there's a lesson in whatever it might take you to get on 
to whatever you see as the next tier or the next stage or whatever. And, and maybe you don't learn that lesson and you let yourself get gobbled up by that. I, you know, I, I don't know. And, and some, some people aren't made for the thing that they would like to do. Uh, you know, like I'm not an amazing writer I, and I, I like writing and, and whatever, but I can go back and hunt and peck and go, okay, I'm not great at that, but this is still a thing I get a lot of joy out of, or I'm not a, a great musician by any means, but I love gear and I love messing with stuff and making soundscapes and making weird noises and that sort of thing. And that's okay. It, it, yeah. that That's the thing. Like it's sometimes we can just do things because we enjoy them. <laughs> Yep. You know, it's like people, I, it's, it seems like doing that on the small, like you're part of a, you know, a group that plays cards once a week and you're fine going and doing that thing and not being at the World Series of Poker. You know, most people, I mean, some people might be like, no, that's the thing. And that's fine too. But it's like you can frame your entire life around that thing, finding satisfaction, you know, and I know sometimes that that's hard because, uh, good old hate breed had a, a wonderful title for an album. Satisfaction is the death of desire. And it's kind of true. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also equal complacency, which can also be bad. So finding that balance, it's tough. Like, I, I don't know what an answer is. Um, but I think that one of them is, you know, finding time to do the things that you enjoy doing. Join a bowling, join a bowling league, play darts, go play pool, something that you can just escape, you know, man, I'm bad at pool. <laughs> <laughs> it got so quiet. He's like, Oh shit. He picked the one thing. <laughs> I'll, I'll, ne- I'll never be a pro. <laughs> <laughs> so that leads me to the next thing that I was going to ask you, because I know that you've been in this industry for a very long time and you found a way, as I mentioned, 17 years ago, you were doing commission pieces um, so you've been in the industry quite a while. How have you seen the industry change um, from your vantage point? I know that you cannot, you're not, uh, I say this often, you are not the mayor of Art Town. I get that. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> damn it. Do they have an election without me? Shit, gerrymandering. I, I have a sash and everything. <laughs> Fabulous. It's pink too. His wife has a great sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> but how have you seen the industry change uh, for you uh, and maybe some observations that you can make on the uh, outside looking in? Um, I don't know. That's always weird to reflect on. Uh, it's be- I think it has become a lifestyle, but maybe, maybe it was before I got, you know, deep into it and, and I just wasn't aware of it until now I'm, you know, older and see younger people coming into it and expecting uh, grandiose uh, levels of paychecks and things immediately and being frustrated at not getting them. Or uh, I, I, the amount of people that are in the marketplace, let, let's just say posters alone. Um, you know, when I kind of discovered a website called gigposters.com, um, I, most of the active people that were ruining pieces of paper one sheet at a time all knew each other, um, at, at least, you know, the American audience, but uh, a lot of us were from all over the place. And now, like, two of my three cats are screen printers. I mean, a, a, everybody can do it and everybody does it. And that's interesting because it has become a little bit less of a unique thing or everybody's got access to the Adobe suite or... Uh, various other things. Not that, pe- not that people didn't before. I mean, I, I pirated it before I could afford to pay for it. Uh, and so did everybody else. Allegedly. Um, allegedly. Yeah, don't agree. Um, but uh, well, they're, 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 they're fine. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I think that it has become a, a seen as a little bit of a lifestyle, which has made it be a little more dismissive. So I've had, you know, I spent some time doing uh, this sort of thing and had a lot of successes with companies. And now they're like, cool, well, we know that you do things at this price point, but we can literally get a kid to do it for $100 instead of, you know, whatever your fee is to do the work and then give us complete ownership of it. So do you, you know, do you want to do it or not? And I now don't do a lot of 
a whole lot of work for the music merchandise industry, uh, music merchandising industry versus when, uh, well, I don't know, like 10 years ago, it was all I did. Um, so I don't know if that's an answer. It's kind of just a meandering bundle of words I spun together. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I could certainly flesh out and understand, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, having, um, been on that side where you're dealing with micro budgets, um, because, you know, that is one of those probably misconceptions of, you know, people assume about bands. Most bands aren't making any money. Yep. Um, uh, most bands are actually spending money to play shows. Uh, <laughs> in most cases, um, I know that we, I don't think that I've been in a band that we had a net gain. Um, None of my bands could afford any of my artwork. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> so and usually they, and, but usually we paid for other people to do stuff anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Instead of me, it was so free. You, they're not wrong. You know, you have that buddy who's just starting out and you know, they're a decent artist and you say, yeah, I'll pay them because what you're paying for, for you is not necessarily saying that, Hey, I'm a much better artist than blah over here. But you're paying for that experience. You're going to know, even working with you 17 years ago, you knew what was going to look good on a T-shirt. And we were a bunch of 20-year-old kids that didn't have a clue because we this was our first T-shirt for our band. And oh, we, and that's a huge, big deal. You're like, we, how are we going to you know, spend the $250 to make these? Right. Exactly. So we didn't even know where to start. And you were like, well, this is what's going to look good and clean on a shirt. You're talking about this big thing. A lot of the detail is going to get lost unless you pay X amount of dollars to have a digital print, which digital prints are this much. And I mean, you really broke it down. And for a bunch of kids, we were like, no, this is what we want. And we can pay this much. Well, we couldn't. And it was hard. You know, you're talking to dreamers. You know, that's what they're used to doing all day. We're dream, dream, dream. And, you know, when that becomes kind of crashing down to reality, that's tough. And I I think this really in in your, you know, your musings there that as you were fleshing that out, I totally get that, you know, that, you know, 10 years ago, you're doing stuff for bands and it becomes an unfortunate fact of life that they can't afford to pay for your experience. Because that's really what people are paying for. That when you go to a mechanic, you're paying that master tech $75 an hour versus going to the Valvoline up the street, who it's a guy that's making 10 bucks an hour, but he's been doing it for six months. That master right. tech has been doing it for 25 years. You can literally turn on the engine and he could tell you everything wrong with that car in two minutes. That's what you're yep. paying for. You know, you're paying for that experience. And and you know that you're going to get a, a quality product, you know, because of that experience and because of the, your catalog of work. And that's what a lot of times people miss. And it's easy to do that as a kid. I realize that, <laughs> you know, I don't think I realized that at least 40% of my job would be educational or uh, informational, um, you know, where a, a project comes up and they're like, Hey, here are the variables that we love we love these things. We love this idea. And then I have to figure out how to process that and turn it into or adapt or whatever. And some, some, you know, usually that's a, that's a very fun process. Sometimes it is a, you know, Hey, here is my, my favorite iteration of it is, uh, you know, you, you've got this budget to work with and I, I'm using the word budget a lot in a creative conversation. And that's kind of, it seems a little gross, but it's definitely part of it. Um, so, you know, here's our budget. Here is our gigantic themed epic album that we've spent, you know, three years meticulously doing all this stuff. And here's our story. And here are all the characters. And here's where every character is from. But we have uh, a budget for, you know, eight hours versus the 400,000 hours that we spent putting together our part. But we need you to represent all that, but you know, we've, we've only got, you know, this much to do it. How do you make something platinum level, you know, or whatever for, uh, how do you, how do you, how do you, uh, a friend of mine from a podcast called adventures in design would always say, I have Honda civic money, but I want a Tesla. <laughs> and so it's like, how do you, how do you interpret that and give something that's a, like that really makes somebody go cool. I need that tattooed 
and I need the shirt and I need, you know, I need the tape, the cassette, I need the vinyl and, you know, the digital download right now. Um, and sometimes you get a big, long, crazy, you know, description of an idea and, uh, you know, go, okay, well, I've got a dead bird in my freezer and some dental equipment I just got in. Let me spend the afternoon sketching those things together versus this big theme thing and see if we can get something that blends your idea, but is not 400 people sitting at a table, you know, and uh, with, with their personal backstories. So how can we, you know, tie in the whole thing? Yeah, not everybody can have an Iron Maiden uh, level of branding. You know, the the group that's been doing it for 30 years or Cannibal Corpse. Uh, there's a lot of bands that have really epic cover art and they're known for that epic cover art. But they're masters those, those of the artists game. used to get paid. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And they're they're big time. You know, they're doing big, big time stuff. And do you think that those art pieces come cheap? You know, that. I can't speculate on what they're making, but it's probably a substantial amount to do such epic pieces. Uh, Black Dahlia Murder has some great artwork. I'm sure that they do. Um, that they're, you know, finding great artists who, you know, are really putting in. A, it's probably a time, uh, painstaking time sucking process. Um, and I think a lot of people are removed from that. Cause like you said, that's, it's, it's, I had never even considered that how long that we had spent working on our music. Like you said, thousands of hours constructing songs for an album. And then you're asking someone to meet that level of work that you put in, you know, on this very small budget. And I don't, to me, it doesn't sound gross because I understand that, you know, people have to make a living doing this if that is what they're doing. And yeah, that that's such a, a unique point because it becomes near and dear to you. And yeah. I don't know that if, if you haven't created, if you understand just how intimate those things are and the very fact that you were get, able to get a group of five people or four people to agree on fucking anything. Yep. You can't get a group of four people to agree on what we're going to have for lunch. Now think about the, the, the level of investment, personal in, time and creative investment. Yeah, that you got to construct an entire album. I don't even understand how it ever happens. Because yep. if you if you've been in a band, you fight all the damn time. You know, even if you love each other, there's going to be situations where you disagree. Like you write a riff and you love that riff. You worked on it for weeks and then you bring it to practice and the other guitar player goes, "That's stupid, dog. I don't like it." And then you go, "What?" <laughs> that, like, sounds, that sounds like fill in the blank. So no. <laughs> yes like and you didn't know because you were inside and then that makes you even more mad because you know the right you're like god damn it that does sound like kill switch engage i hate you you know and it's just one of those things and it's you know or the drummer goes that that there's no time to that that doesn't make any sense you start writing to a click like that's pathetic like i can't play to that and you're like fuck you you suck and then it becomes this whole thing, like, and anybody. I like that all these band members sound the same. <laughs> what? I like that all these band members sound the same. <laughs> yeah. All right, guy, uh, that's pathetic. I'm now Lars Ulrich. Uh, <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. Um, but dude, yeah, it's 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 a wonder that anything ever comes of it. But when it does, it's magic. It it truly is. It, it might sound cheesy as shit. But when you have something come together and then you can hear that finished product and you go, we did that. Even yeah. if it's mediocre and it's more than mediocre to you and you want a visual representation for that. And that's tough. That's a tough job on your yep. part. I, I do not envy you on some of those things. So, but some, sometimes it's just a project and uh, it, 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 you know, spans the scope. Like sometimes you want to make you, you get the opportunity to really make this very cool thing. That's like an ongoing uh, annual, whatever, or you get to wrap up with the, you get to create the environmental design for a music festival or uh, here's what this date of this tour looks like. Or sometimes it is just like, we need to make this package design really cool, but we've only got two afternoons, you know, to, to crank it out. And that still can be super fulfilling to be like, oh man, here's here's what my little variables were, and we brought it across the finish line, and I'm really stoked. I could have needled, you know, needled on that for another sixty hours, but 
I'm really happy with where we got. Yeah, I think it's setting clear expectations and having, you know, understandings of what that can look like in the time that you had. So, yeah. Um, has there ever been like a, uh, oh, my God moment, like where you worked with uh, somebody that you really revered, like a A-list celebrity? Have you done work for anybody like that? that you were just like, holy fuck, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, there are definitely those types of projects that come up every once in a while. Um, I mean, like I've, I've done a, uh, I don't know, four or five, six. Pro- I used to do a whole lot of merchandising design. So then, uh, you know, somebody would be like, Hey, can we, you do something for black? My second t-shirt design was, Hey, um, this is so-and-so at a merchandising company. You want to, uh, are you, in- would you be interested in doing something for black Sabbath? <laughs> and I was like, well, uh, who, who what why did you why are you calling me <laughs> and uh, of course and then uh you know that job wasn't accepted like all right it wasn't approved because what i turned out was garbage because i wasn't at a level to be doing that type of merchandising design yet and so that design wasn't approved they went cool uh they did they passed on this we're still going to pay you a kill fee would you be interested in doing something for metallica I was like, okay, we're in the same spot, but sure, I'm not of that level, but okay. And then that design did get um, approved. And then I've done, uh, you know, a bunch of shirts and stuff for them over the past 10 years. And I've been doing a little bit of regular poster work for them. Um, and we're, I'm talking with their fan club people right now to, to do something. And, and that stuff is really cool. But I think that, um, like if I don't know, nine inch nails hit me up, I would, I'm a recovering goth kid to, to put it in perspective. Um, so, uh, I think I would completely lock up on what I would do to something that means, uh, this other extra level of like, how do I, how do I solve that problem? And then I think of that, like something like that would totally cause me to hiccup. Whereas drawing cool skull stuff, I'm confident that I've got that. Okay. Most of the time. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, I love all the <clears throat> the stuff that you've done. We talked about your work being showcased at Louder Than Life and uh, you getting that opportunity um, to have that chance to put your work on display for, you know, what might be 60,000 people over the course of a weekend. And if you're looking at the three weekends, maybe 100,000 plus, which is really cool. Uh, and I was really excited to see that. So, um, one of the beautiful ways that I like, to, uh, that I've found to in these conversations, um, is to have people share their inspirations, uh, and however those, uh, whatever method that manifested itself in your life, that can be a thing that happened to you. Uh, it could be a person, uh, somebody that you look up to anything that you want to uh, share as far as what has inspired you to do what you do. Um, I'm going to forget people that are really important to me in this. And I've I've always lock up on that a little bit, but, but, um, okay, cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Well, here, here's my speech that I prepared clearly. Um, music's been a driving force of mine since, uh, you know, uh, got shamed about not knowing bands when I was like 11 from my, uh, my older brother. Cause Uh, that's what we do. I mean, that, that was the, that was that he was doing his job and it was like, do you know this band? No. Do you know this band? No, I can't believe you don't know this band. Idiot. Do you know this band? No. I'm like, you could just play them instead of being a dick, but okay, cool. <laughs> so since for some reason, like since that conversation happened, um, knowing music and being involved in some facet of that world has been in, uh, just part of my makeup. Um, and then as that evolved and I dug in and started looking at, you know, album art and all that sort of stuff, you know, but, uh, we keep going back to Metallica, but like people like Pusshead were huge to me. And then seeing what uh shepherd fairy did wow. with uh, did. posters and, and screening printing, you know, in the, I don't know, in the mid nineties or whatever, when, when he started blowing up and all those obey stickers started showing up and going to like underground little bookstores um, and seeing people make, seven inches like all the local bands that came out of Louisville, kentucky like that that stuff i wanted to uh there was an artist named scott richard and i was like what the hell wait this person's from here and they can make things like this like this was put together somewhere and this is like a real thing that's in my hand and like this is amazing to look at 
that was a really big influence to me. Um, and then going like, wait, well, what is local music? And, and then like digging through and seeing other uh, people play little house shows and that sort of stuff. And then those people need t-shirts and uh, all, all, you know, they, they need to make things to, to try to meet their aspirations and dreams. So just, uh, I don't know, the punk and hardcore and metal culture in general has always been huge to me. Um, but I, I feel like if you look at any of my art, you can see all my inspirations. You can see that post head stuff. You can see Shepard Fairy. You can see, uh, I've been doing a lot of like fantasy artwork, uh, lately and, uh, most projects, uh, for a thing that I'm, I'm building. And I feel like you can see all that inspiration, just like super transparent and I'm like, do you even see my hand in it or whatever? And I know it's my own filter, but, uh, I've always felt like any of those inspirations were really, really visible. But uh, uh, there are other poster artists, people that like really that whole culture. Um, when I got into that world, like pulled me in. I'm wearing a, a shirt by a company called Print Mafia, who are uh, out of uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. They've got this uh, skull uh, Colonel Sanders thing, and uh, Gerald Tidwell was, was like my mentor when I he coerced me into. Uh, he's a local artist from uh, from here. He basically. Uh, scolded me into quitting my day job doing web development he's like look if i can do this and you're getting regular work now you can definitely do this um so i, I don't know there are a whole ton of names that that could come out but i'll just meander and not say any of them instead is that productive <laughs> <laughs> no that that was fantastic man like uh you brought back so many memories when you talk about just like dipping your toe into uh, learning what local music was because I had that that same feeling. Like I remember my first local show at Pandemonium. Uh, oh, out there. Okay, cool. And yeah. yeah, in the Highlands here, Louisville. For people that aren't familiar, uh, we're talking a very small venue, probably max capacity of two hundred, and that's probably pushing it. Um, and I remember seeing that band and, and learning that those all those guys were from my city, and that they could get together and put something together and have people come out and actually watch it, you know? And honestly, you know, I was 14 years old. That seemed like an unattainable thing to me. You know, I was like that. It was outside of where I was. It's, it was such a big idea. Oh, it's magic. Yeah, it was. And and you see that in person and, you know, then I became like their fan and they would talk to me. You know, and I could talk to these musicians and pick their brain and they were excited to talk to me. They were like, you know, and then having an opportunity to do that years down the road and having an opportunity to give some other fan who was seeing that as something that was unattainable as well. And to give them that that kick in the ass and be like, hey, man, this ain't magic, even though it sometimes can seem that way. You can do this. Find a group of guys, get in the, a garage somewhere, a basement, start practicing. You can do it. And I think that's it. My goal with this is to provide experience with, with people and to say, hey, there's not only all these different niches, but there's ways for you to find your way into them as well. You know, so if you're just dipping your toe in yeah. the pool on the outside, jump in, man. The- you, you can also create very cool, amazing magic. Exactly. Yeah. Because once you learn the trick, it's not as crazy as you thought, you know? And well, and the fun part is going like, okay, I can do that. How do I make it harder for myself now? And, <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and I, I really love that. Yeah. You find new ways to push yourself because you, you don't want to end up in a situation where you are complacent. You're like, well, I've reached the peak. This is all I got. This is as good as it gets, you know, because that's, you don't want anybody to be that way. And, you know, great, great people at anything never do that. That's what makes them great. Mm-hmm. And, but it's also okay. If you're just good, you don't have to, yeah. be great, you know, and be as good as you can be because your level of greatness and their level of greatness don't equate yourself to others because that's not fair. So, Unless that drives you. I, I don't know. That's true, too. Like, uh, like uh, I love being like, okay, cool. I'm really happy with this new piece. I, You know what? I fucking nailed it. I, I'm, I, I did it. I nailed it. And then I could pull up Instagram and go, 
oh god i gotta get better and <laughs> and, and i love that because it made me go cool i'm happy with that piece now i need to up the bar and that is good for me you know as a creative nerd i i, I need that thing to make me try to uh just just be better yeah, and I think it's it's kind of uh, organically pushed the bar because um, if you look back 30 years, I think in every aspect of anything creative, uh, if you look at the things that musicians are creating now, it's unbelievable. Um, a great example for music is a guy named Tosin Obasi, which is the uh, lead guitar player for a group called Animals as Leaders. Uh, he was also in a metal band back in the day, Reflux. And seeing the things that that guy's able to do, if you'd have looked back uh, and you put him against people like King Van Malmsteen and uh, Steve Vai and things of that nature, not crapping on those dudes. Those dudes mm-hmm. were the peak of what we thought was possible then. Mm-hmm. And now he comes in and he's playing uh, a 12 string guitar and just doing things that they probably thought were, was impossible. And now that bar has been set because he took what they did and built upon it. He says, okay, this is possible. Now I'm going to take it up here. And I think that that, that raises the bar naturally because people see things. Uh, you see a basketball player. Oh, I could just glide 17 feet through the air and dunk the ball. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. So I could do that now. You know, if, maybe if they have the ability and it, it just takes it up a, a level. With every- you, have, you have something to move towards. Yeah. Um, when... Uh, I've met, mentioned this site earlier when gig posters was a, a gig posters.com was it like a, a cultural meeting place message board for uh, a lot of my peers. When I got to it, you know, late, what I feel is late in the game. Um, what was considered an amazing decadent, like top tier level of like, this is like the, the staple of like the best thing that you could possibly make what that was a year later or six months later from all of us being um, uh, just creatively challenged by each other. Uh, it, it, it changed that whole industry to where, you know, now there are people like, uh, I mean, even before gig posters went away, you know, people like Aaron Horky popped up, who's one of the best living illustrators I've seen to where you're just like, how is that even possible? That's what's possible fuck like um and that's really cool to have that friendly competition of like oh did you see this thing that you know uh mad pixel did last week you know i don't know how that effect happened um but i need to figure out how that works through my filter and uh try to get better or or see like how are they doing this weird printing process i need to so then i have a direct uh iv hit for trying to be better instead of just seeing things that just make me insecure or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've encountered that in so many different things as a vocalist. I, w- I would do that thing too. Like where I would hear somebody do some crazy new growl or some crazy new high pitched screech that sound like demons straight out of hell. And I was <laughs> like, I need to figure out how to do that. Cause that's crazy. Um, so yeah, I think it pushes all of us and I think it should. Um, but I never let it be if I couldn't do something. You know, like, oh, I'm a failure. Oh, no. Especially with my voice, I, I have limitations. There's certain things I couldn't do. And yeah, I think that's important. Well, that's, that was perfect, man. That was beautiful. Um, cool. Is there anything that you would like to share with anybody? Uh, where can they find your work? Well, where can they go like your work? Um, anything you want to share? Um, you can follow me pretty much anywhere at Angry Blue. Um, I make uh, rock posters and art prints and books and all sorts of stuff. I uh, recently, over the past couple of years, got into D&D, and there will be a company that I'm putting together that's related to that. Um, eh, if, you, if you like stuff that's fun to look at, go there. There, there's the confidence I was looking for. Uh, <laughs> that, that's the pitch. Was that a, was that a statement or a question? Go there. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can say that with with full confidence. Yes, it was. <laughs> well, man, I'd like to thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, it means the world to me that um, people of your status and things of that nature have uh, enough faith in their friends that when you know they get thrown something. This has only launched one uh, conversation and people have been more than willing to sit down and talk with me. 
and I greatly appreciate it, man. Wonderful. Well, it was very nice to meet you. You too, brother. Thanks, man.